Everybody doing good today? So I was up here kind of thinking, listening to y'all as the offer, offering happens, and I was thinking about being young and in church and uh, sitting there and as I was growing up, and it'd be time for the message, like somebody else would come out, somebody different than the pastor. There's usually a couple of different responses I would have. One of them is like, oh, man, finally, somebody might do a good job. And then I would think, or I'd think I'd like to see the person like, oh, gosh, not him again. So it's usually one of those two things that's going through our minds. And I pretty much heard all of them while y'all were waking up during the offering. So we'll see what, see what actually happens when, when this thing comes together. Um, so we were... We started this series last week called Brokenness, and uh, Dallas shared with us about Jacob and how he was broken. And today we're going to move on to another uh, famous character of the Bible, Moses. So I want you to turn with me to Exodus chapter 3, Exodus chapter 3, and we will start there. We're going to read verses 1 through 14 and, uh, and, and kind of talk about a, a pretty famous story it happened in the text. Uh, movies have been made about it. Um, things have been talked about about this magnificent miracle that God did with Moses when he called him out. He called him out to, to begin to serve him. So we're going to talk about what Moses brought to the table or, or what he didn't bring to the table, actually, and, and go from there. So let's look at Exodus chapter 3. We'll begin right there with verse 1. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses, and Moses said, here I am. Do not come any closer. He wouldn't have had to say that, but once to me. God said, take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I've heard them crying, and because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I am... So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of the land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way of the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go. I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said, I will be with you, and this will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. Moses said to God, Suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they asked me, What is his name? And what shall I tell them? God said to Moses, I am who I am this is who you are to say to the Israelites, I am has sent me to you. Let's pray. God, we're thankful for the morning. We're thankful for what you've already done this morning. Through our worship, 
God, and through our other service. We thank you for that. God, it's our prayer today that you will speak to us today through the life of Moses. For all of his insecurities and all the things that, that he lacked, how you used him, how you chose him out of so many people to be the leader to lead your people into the promised land. So God, help us to see what that has to do with us today so many years later and how it can affect our lives and change us where we are. So God, we thank you and we love you. In your son's name we pray, amen. So when it comes to brokenness, I kept thinking about this, this word brokenness. And I talked to a couple people during the week about it and I kept thinking about it and, and I, I, the story kept coming to mind about Humpty Dumpty, all right? Very theological story, right? Right out of scripture. Um, but Humpty Dumpty did fall off the wall, and, and Humpty Dumpty had a great fall, and all the king's horses, all the king's men couldn't put Humpty Dumpty back together again. And I thought about that, and I thought, I'm thankful I'm not an egg, for one thing, right? But then as I thought about this broken thing, I'm not sure that we are broken because it seems as though that things that are broken may not be able to be fixed. But I kept thinking of the, the, the word imperfection. And then I thought about just hurting people. That we're all just hurting people that bring all this stuff with us from our past. And so, so I, I want you to think in terms of that. It, it kind of reminded me of some, some changes that are happening even in the, the mental health world. And I work with a lot of people who, who have post-traumatic stress disorder. And the way that is shifting right now, and it's changing from PTSD to PTSI, which is post-traumatic stress injury, which gives me a lot of hope and to share a lot of hope with people because you can heal from an injury, but you carry a disorder, right? And it's kind of like that with this brokenness thing. But I think that there's a lot of hope for us because we are hurting people. And we all have these things that are broken about us, but I don't know that we're broken people per se. So I know I have my own struggles and I have my own uh, insecurities and I certainly have these areas of weakness. And if you've ever heard me preach before, there are many times I have to talk about road rage because it's something I deal with on a daily basis because none of you can drive as good as I can drive, right? But I, I have parking lot incident. So my road rage is at least being contained to being standing still now I think it's safer that way. But I'm in Walmart the other day, which is, we have those stories too, but I'm outside of Walmart by this time. So salvation has happened for me, and I'm finally back in the truck. So this lady has unloaded her groceries next to me, and she's finishing up. I'm finishing up. We kind of get in the vehicles at the same time. You kind of never know what to do. Like, am I going to go? Is she going to go? Whatever. So I, I just look behind me. I look behind me, and she's left her cart behind my truck. And I'm thinking, what are you doing, lady? I mean, really? So I, I kind of glanced over at her, and I kind of just did the thumb thing. Like, like, I said all of these words without saying them. You know, like, your, your cart's behind my truck. And she looks at me, and she gives me one of these. <laughs> oh, my. The reason I don't have a Connection Church sticker, right? Don't have one. I had a connection shirt on. I took it off. Um, so, 
I did what any normal person would do. I got out, got the cart, and I sat it on the hood of her car. No, I'm kidding. I didn't do that. Only because they're video cameras, I wouldn't have done that. So, but I get out, and I, I take it myself over to the little return area, and I shoved it in there and made lots of noise and uh, came out the other end, I think. So I, I started to go back to the truck, and she's backed out by now and rolls her window down. I'm like, oh, it's about to be on right here. Uh, ain't nothing for me to punch a woman in the... Oh, no, I wouldn't do that. But she rolls her window down, she, lets, she goes, she goes I, I'm, I'm so sorry, my, my infant was really acting up and I just forgot. <laughs> oh, gosh. So I said, I don't care about your infant. <laughs> uh, I didn't say that. But God has a way of just kind of showing me my brokenness real quick, like, you know? Like, here you go, why don't you go ahead and get mad at this? And then, pow, he punches me right in the face. But there, I do have some good news for you about my road rage, some things I'm happy about. July 1st will be the day that we can no longer even hold a cell phone in our hands in our vehicles. Ha <laughs> ha. Uh-huh. How you think about that? Bunch of texting and driving people, right? Some of you got stopped this week on 301 South when the sheriff's office did a little sting. Stopped about 20 cars in eight minutes, right? Just constant. Boo, boo, boo. It didn't take long at all. All kind of citations. That's one bit of good news. The second bit of good news comes straight from God himself, all right? And that is that we've started, the law's already been passed, but Sheriff's Office and State Patrol is going to start hammering down on this law. Know what it is? <laughs> Wait for it. Riding in the left lane. <laughs> Praise God. Oh, yeah, we can get some clapping. Uh-huh. Because here is what I'm certain of. There are people who get in their car in Atlanta, and they decide, I'm going to ride in the left lane until I get to Tybee Island. It happens. <laughs> That's what they do. And they just ride in the left lane for no apparent reason other than they think they own it. All right? Just the other day, officer had somebody stopped on the interstate. Obviously, they, were, they had to stop them on the left side of the road because they were riding over there. Okay? Because it's not in the rule book about what happens when a cop comes behind you in the left lane. It doesn't say cross over both lanes and get it. It's not in there because you're not supposed to be there to begin with, right? So this cop has somebody pulled over. Well, somebody comes blowing by him and doesn't get over to give them the right of way to write his ticket. Well, he was just finishing up. And he hops in his car and he runs them down. $700 ticket. Oh, isn't that good? That's pretty, oh, man, I'm excited about that. I think it should be $1,400. I think you should be arrested or shot right there on the spot. <laughs> I can't stand people who ride in the left lane. Don't do it. Because I'm not the guy that comes and passes you on the right. I'm going to get right behind you. Until <laughs> you get over. Just, just to make a point. It, it's, it's so bad of me. It's such a sin. So but we all have these issues. We're all broken. We're all hurting people who struggle with things every single day of our lives. And in spite of Moses' flaws, God chose to use him to lead the Israelites out of Egypt into the promised land. He had low self-esteem. He struggled with things. He didn't believe in himself. He got ahead of God and complicated the issues by murdering someone. Moses was a murderer. It was because of his insufficiency, I think. It was because of his, his lacking of so many things that God was able to use him because he had to rely on God. 
He was born into an impossible situation. We all have abandonment issues to some degree. A lot of people struggle with them more than others. Moses was actually abandoned. He was placed in a basket and floated down a river and found by someone else. He was abandoned. His life was screwed up from the beginning. He faced adversity and brokenness from birth. But a broken beginning doesn't determine that you have to have a broken future. There is hope there for hurting people. So no wonder he had confidence, anger, and identity issues. He had all of them. But God uses a bad situation to teach Moses who he is, and then he puts Moses exactly where he needs to be at exactly the right time. So just like he was abandoned as a child, then God puts him in a place to reach the Israelites and lead the Israelites who were also abandoned and who felt abandoned. So we come to this turning point in the story of Moses in his life, the story of the burning bush. And we see all the insecurities, but we also see God speak to them. The Lord says in verse 7, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I'm concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them. The response to verses 7 through 8 is is probably parallel to chapter 2, just previous to this, at the end of chapter 2, in verses 23 through 25, when he says, During that long period, the king of Egypt died. The Israelites groaned in their slavery and cried out, and their cry for help because of their slavery went up to God. God heard their groaning, and he remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. So God looked on the Israelites and was concerned about them. So remembering the covenant leads God to come down and intervene and get involved in the events of their lives. I think this had to excite Moses. Moses had to be really, really pumped up about this when he was in Egypt. He had seen the suffering. He had seen the beatings. He had seen what was going on with the people who were enslaved. That's why he's in the land of Midian in the first place, because he took things into his own hands and he murdered a soldier there. He lost it. He got angry. And I think we do that a lot. We tend to not have enough patience for what God wants to do. We get ahead of God like we can do more than God can, like we know more than God can. I fight this on a daily basis in my office when I'm doing therapy with folks. My, my flesh gets the best of me, and I hear people talk about things, and I hear some, some devastating things that people are walking through. And then I hear some, some trivial things, and I'm like, just stop doing that. That's what I want to say. It's not very therapeutic, right? I'm like, just stop it. But I, I can't do that. That's getting ahead of what God wants to do through me and even through them. And, 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 I, and I think that at times I think, all right, let me look at my scoreboard here. You know, I'm, I'm doing pretty good. I think I'm ahead of God by a couple this week. No, it doesn't happen like that at all. I'm on zero all the time when I get ahead of God. When I try to do something in spite of God, he shows me every time, come on, dude, wait on me, I got this. And he proves me wrong each and every time. Moses had seen the starvation of the people. He had seen the murder of the children. He had witnessed the beating and mistreatment. And here's God saying, I have come down to rescue you. What great news that is. 400 years of silence until Moses, when suddenly anything a skeptic might have wished for, 
happened. How awesome was that? First, God appeared in a burning bush, introduced by name to Moses. Speaking aloud, God said, my people have suffered enough. Now see what I will do. When God announces he's about to show off, it's going to get good really soon. I think we feel like that sometimes. Don't we want God to come down sometimes and take it away from us? To come down and speak to us today? Wouldn't it be awesome if the drum set just exploded in flames right now? Some of you are like, amen, that thing's loud. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about God coming down. Wouldn't it be awesome if it, if it just exploded and we heard the voice of God? He said, I've come to rescue you. I've come to, to take you out of slavery. I've heard, come to lead you out of bondage. I've come to lead you out of debt. I've come to lead you out of the horrible situation you put yourself in. Wouldn't that be nice? I will introduce you to grace is what we're waiting to hear. What a marvelous message. Come on, Lord. Come on down. Please come down. I think that's what Moses had to have felt. So I've come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians, to bring them up out of the land into a spacious land, a land flowing with milk and with honey. And then the next part. So, now go, I am sending you, is what God says to Moses. What do you think Moses said to that? Whatever you say, God, I will do. No, no, he didn't say that at all. What we see following this, I think, shows Moses' disappointment. He's a little deflated at this point. Wait a minute, Lord. You, you said you would rescue them. You said you were coming down. What's this you go business? You said you were going to do this. I, I can go back and look at the transcript, God. You, you just said you were coming down to rescue them. I've heard about Jesus as the answer, but, but me? You are God's answer. I am God's answer. We are God's answer. The Lord does redeem his people, but the Lord does so through his people. It is by and through humanity that God redeems humanity. He wants to use us. Moses going was God coming down. The dilemma in your family with your friends and your loved ones, is not someone else's problem to solve. It's not up to some great speaker, some great politician, or, or the bestseller that's out this week that's going to help you solve your problems. It is you going because you are God's answer to the problem. You just need to go and do it. That's what he's telling Moses, and is what he's telling us. Instead, we look around for someone else when the answer is right in the mirror. When things are right in front of us, we want to look elsewhere. The other morning I was going to work out. For some reason, I go work out at 5.30 in the mornings. People are telling me you'll be addicted to it and you'll have this feeling after working out. Still not addicted, still not feeling it, right? <laughs> I think that's just lies from Satan himself. But I do it anyway because my doctor says I need to and I want to be here, you know, in the future. So that's why you work out, right? So I, I go to work out the other morning, and I, I leave the house, and I get all the way to where I'm working out. As soon as I got out of the truck, I was thinking, wow, where's my phone? Well, usually every morning I'll go to my truck, and I'll sit my phone on my bumper because that's a brilliant thing to do, right? <laughs> Put my shoes on, grab a water bottle, and then get in the truck and leave. 
And all I was thinking about during working out, I was like, golly, I think I left it on the, on the bumper. And I'm another smart individual. I don't, have a, I don't put a case on my phone because that's smart, right? Because they're so cheap. And um, it makes it slippery. And what I was thinking about is, oh, man, did no case. Maybe it just slid off really fast, and it's right there in the driveway or right where I back up. So I drive home, get all the way to the driveway, and I said, all right, here's the search. I'm going to start. So I do another smart thing, and I open the door and, like, stand up and look out while I'm riding down the driveway. Because that helps, you know, to see better. And uh, so I'm going really slow, looking, get all the way to the house, no phone, park the truck, the flashlight, go to where I backed up. I said, oh, it's going to be right here because where I stopped, it just fell off. No phone. I'm like, golly, man. So I get the flashlight, walk the entire driveway, and our driveway's a little lengthy. Walk it all the way back down to the road, don't see it. Walk all the way back, looking, 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 no phone. So I go, what I should have done to begin with. What's the smartest thing to do when you lose your phone? Call it. That's right. So we got some other people who did this. So I go inside, get the landline. For those of you who don't know what that is, that's a the phone in the house. It used to hang on the wall with a cord on it. Well, they don't have any cords anymore. So I got that phone, called it, walked outside, and I hear it. Oh, it's got to be close. It's got to be close. It's in my seat in the truck. So I could have just done like this and found it <laughs> before I started looking. But I was panicking and just wasn't thinking straight and just started looking everywhere except the obvious place, like the last place I put it. And we do the same thing and, 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 and start to, to look around and look for other answers for our, for our questions, look for answers for our problems, and they're right there in front of us. That God wants to use us. Another thing that we think about, I think, with Moses is that we think that Moses, well, we, we kind of get this portrayal of Moses. And those of you who are my age, close to it, a little bit older, you'll, you'll really know what I'm talking about. So we see Moses as this strong, powerful person because we saw the Ten Commandments, right? Who played Moses? Charlton Heston. Oh, yeah, right? Chiseled chin, buff, tanned. It was in vivid color, right? He brought out that staff. He put it out there. The Red Sea parted. He's up there and that white beard's just flowing. We're like, whoa, let's go. Come on, give me some God. Pumped up about it. That's the Moses I want to be, right? And that's this portrayal that we get of him. Let's go for it. But God says to Moses, I'm sending you to bring my people out of Egypt. You are God's answer. You are God's answer. I want to suggest to you when God tips the finger to you and says you need to go, you better go. Because he has a plan for you to do that. You are God's answer. Now you'd expect Moses again to be the great Bible person that we learned about. The one I learned about in Sunday school and, 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 and had him on the, the felt panels, you know, all that kind of stuff that we did. Little stick figures. Moses was always the strong guy. And we would think that he's going to answer and say, I shall go wherever you send me, even to death. But that's not what he said. Moses' answer was this. Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? Let me translate that for you. God, I'm a nobody and you are great. I'm kind of on the run here for killing somebody. And I think you'd probably do a better job than me. So why don't you handle this one? 
The first excuse we have all used is straight out of the mouth of Satan. It's, I'm a nobody and I have nothing to offer. I am a nobody and I have nothing to offer. Say it with me. I'm a nobody and I have nothing to offer. Well, I'm glad you're all here today. We're having a group meeting right here, all right? We're going to handle this one. Because right under that is God's answer. When we say, I'm a nobody and I have nothing to offer, you know what God says? I know. That's validating, isn't it? Thank you, God. Oh, I felt bad, but now I feel worse. Creator of the universe just agreed with me. Don't forget this. God is not looking for extraordinary people. God is looking for ordinary people who will trust an extraordinary God. That's what he wants. I know that God did not say to Moses that he was a nobody. But he also did not say to him, oh, Moses, don't feel bad. I'll I'll make you a great leader. I'll give you athletic ability so that people will listen to you. I'll give you money and power and clout. God said none of that. When Moses said, who am I? I'm a nobody. God's response was, certainly I will be with you. Certainly, I will be with you. The same verb used here is the exact one used when God says, I am, or I will be what I will be. Let me tell you this. It doesn't matter if you're a teenager, if you're a college student, if you're a young adult, if you're a not-so-young adult. When the team is made up of you and God, it cannot be beaten. He has promised that to us. And when God comes to you and touches your heart with something that can make a difference in this world, it may be teaching, it may be leading a connect group, it may be running for office, it may mean that you are just not a jerk anymore, right? It may be changing you into the husband and father you're supposed to be. It may mean refocusing you as a wife and mother. It may be allowing you as a single person to date with a purpose and not with a purpose to just get around, That's what God wants for you. No matter what it is, no matter what God is saying to you right now, God is saying, you will not have to do it alone. I will go with you. We're not out on this island all by ourselves. Verse 13, Moses said to God, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, what is his name? What shall I tell them? What shall I say, God? Someone said anything worth doing is worth doing wrong the first time. In other words, just get going. Just do what God's called you to do. If you wait till everything is perfect, you will never do anything. I don't know what to say. When our excuse is I don't know what to say, God's answer is the same today as it was for Moses. I'll tell you what to say. Who am I that I should go? I think we all cry out for some inner confirmation from God. We need some some assurance that God gives us to know that it's okay to go. Guess what? If we're sitting around going, you know what? I don't know that God's leading me to go on a mission trip. Why would God not want you to go on a mission trip? Or, or, Or seeing someone in need and we're like, golly, that person looks hungry and thirsty. I should probably do something, but I don't feel God's leading me to do that. That's gas. That is not God, right? That is not from God. Why would God ever say to us, don't do that right now. Somebody else will get it. That's not from God. That's a lie straight from the pit of hell. 
It's not God. I think it returns with this refrain from God to Moses. When Moses is doubting him, I think God basically said to him, after the long course of your task has been completed, when the plagues are over, the shadow of the death angel is gone and the sea of chaos is crossed, when the murmurings of the people are over and the thirst has been quenched and the hunger filled, when you stand on your mountain, wherever it may be, and your people worship and exultation in the presence of God who sees, then you will know that he has truly sent you. But you cannot know until then, not with ultimate certainty. God never promises certainty. He just promises to be with us. And that should be enough for us. Hasn't he proven himself throughout Scripture and throughout our lives that he'll never leave us or forsake us? We say, I'm a nobody. And God says, I'll go with you. We say, I don't know what to say. And God says, I'll tell you what to say. We say, what if they don't believe me? And God says, it's not your job. Who says they're going to believe me either? After 400 years of silence, God appeared to Moses. He let loose with the most unbelievable display of divine power the world had ever seen. And we say, if he would just come down and show himself to me, I'd follow. No, he wouldn't. If that drum set exploded in flames, most of us would just sit back and go, I wonder how they did that. That's the most amazing thing I've ever seen. That sucker didn't even burn up. Even if God came in this room, physically walked down the aisle and said, I am God, follow me. Some of us would be like, golly, we're never going to get to the restaurant now. We're just so detached from things at times. When God is working and is right in front of us, we still miss it. They missed it. Ten times he intervened on a scale so massive that not a single person in Egypt could doubt the existence of the God of the Hebrews. Billions of frogs, gnats, flies, and hailstones, and locusts gave this empirical proof of the Lord of all creation. For the next 40 years, the years in the wilderness wandering, God carried his people as a father carries his son. God fed the Israelites, clothed them, planned their itinerary, and fought their battles for them daily for 40 years. God took off the wraps. God punished evil and rewarded good. God spoke audibly. And God became visible, first to Moses in the burning bush, and then to the Israelites in a pillar of cloud by day and fire by night. The response of the Israelites to such direct intervention kind of offers an important insight into the inherent limits of all power. Power can do everything, but the most important thing it cannot control is love. We can feel as powerful as we want to be. We can be the Charlton Heston of our day. And we can have this, this rod or this staff, and we're going to change the world. We're going to part the Ogeechee River and walk across that sucker, right? Have all this power. But if we don't have love, it is useless. If we try to be powerful in our families, men, and try to rule with an iron, fan, iron fist, you suck. That is not what God called you to do. He called you to love your family and love your wife. He never said to rule with an iron fist. 
He said to lead your family and love your wife as Christ loved the church. Jesus never hit anyone. Jesus never yelled at his wife. I'm meddling a little bit. Sorry about that. A little passionate. So these plagues were there. These flies, these locusts, all this stuff was happening. They didn't believe it either. They were thankful, but it never translated. It never kept going for them. So this power without love is useless. There's no pyrotechnic displays. There's nothing that could happen on this stage that's going to make you believe what God wants you to believe. So waiting on God to come down would not make a difference today either. Not without love. Then we say, send someone else. Please send someone else. You're God's answer to a dying world. You're God's answer to the neighbor next door. You're God's answer to your coworker. You're God's answer to your children that know the Lord. And then comes another problem. If we totally give in to this thing, and we say, God, use us. I want to become the man of God. I want to become the woman of God that you want me to be. Then pride kicks in. And God begins to use us. And then we start kind of bowing up a little bit. Oh, this is going to be good. God's called me to lead the state's Burians out of bondage. Right? Out of the hand of Satan himself. Right out of states. I'm called to do this. It doesn't mean that God is going to use you to lead a mighty nation. It means that God will use you in a mighty way to lead your family. God will use you in a mighty way to change your work environment. God will use you in a mighty way to change your friend group, to change the people you hang around with. You're God's answer to your family who needs more than a man who provides money but needs you to get off of Facebook at night and love your kids and love your wife. It means that you're God's answer to your family who needs a mother and a wife who will put her phone down for a couple of hours at night to be with her family. This phone thing's kind of a stuff for me. Sorry about that. But I hear it all the time when I work with couples, when I work with individuals, and I always ask the question, tell me what your afternoon looks like. Tell me what your evenings look like at home. And so many times we're consumed by technology. We're consumed by what's going on in other people's lives more than we're worried about what's going on in our own. The whole Facebook phenomena is stupid. That's the only way I can put it. We're so locked into that and so drawn to it about worrying about when somebody's going to check in at the women's room. I don't care if you're using the bathroom. Don't send that to me. I don't need you to check in and tell me how good your food is. I don't care. I do not care about your food. I don't care about your life that much, right? I got more things to do. I do have Facebook, but every time I post once a year, it was this weekend, it's prom weekend. I post pictures of my kids. I have to ask every time, now, how do I do this again? How, I feel kind of old, you know, like technologically just disabled or something. I, how, now, who, what do I put on here? And I, and I do that. And you like it. <clears throat> Literally, you like it. You send me notifications, how pretty. 
Oh, it must be a wonderful weekend. She's so pretty. That's not why I did it. I don't care what you think. <laughs> but we get so wrapped up into this thing. We get so worried about it. As our families are dying a slow death, we're consumed by other people's families who are dying a slow death, right? So God's calling us to make an impact where we are, not to go to Africa, not even to go to Atlanta, but to be where we are, where God has planted us. That's where we're called. When he says, I want to send you out, he's sending you out from your seat right now. That's when it makes a difference. God changes us and wants to use us getting out of our parking lot. It's the most sinful place in Statesboro at times. I can't believe how some of you behave. It's terrible. We have people who cuss people out. It's, that's why I almost ran over one of our parking people a few weeks ago. Put him on their hood. Really? And it wasn't to take him to lunch. It was to get him out of our way. That's where it starts, though. That's where God wants to change us, not this distant thing that we can't really see or feel, it's right here, it's right now. It's in your school, it's in your family, it's in your workplace. That's where God wants to use us. So when he says, I'm sending you out, that's where he's sending you. It's not something that's out of reach, it's something that's right around the corner for you. You're God's answer on your team, your club, your classroom, your campus. God will never do something in us without the intention of it being to send us out. He will never do something in us without the intention of sending us out. And maybe today, for the very first time, you're, you're just sitting here and you've heard a message. Maybe you've been here before and you've heard about this gospel. And you've heard about this Jesus. And you know that that's a life that he wants for you. And you know you need to, to, to do that, to begin that journey right here, right now. And today's an awesome time to be able to do that. But maybe today for the very first time, or, or maybe it's a second time. Maybe it's something that you did as a young child when you said, I, I think I want to follow Jesus. And, and it happened at a young age and just hadn't changed you. But maybe today's the day that you are here for salvation. It's the day of salvation for you. And if God's speaking to you and he's, he's calling on you and he's knocking on that door of your heart and you feel your heart rate right now just racing, going, I know that God's calling me to do this. I need to do this today. We make it really simple. Just right where you are, just lift your hand. If that's a decision you want to make, we want to celebrate with you. Amen. Amen. Anyone else? Thank you for breaking the ice. Have somebody come over there and speak to you, sir, and pray with you. Anyone else need to make that decision today? All right, so the rest of us, I'm assuming that the rest of us know Christ. And this is my challenge for all of us today. We're, we're beginning this service week this week. I heard us talk about it a little bit last week. And way back, seven, eight, nine years ago, when we started this at the beginning of, of time with this church, with Connection Church, we would actually cancel Sunday morning to do a service day. 
And it was a little bit more manageable. A couple hundred, three, four hundred people would come out, and we would just disperse into this community and, and just blast it with service projects on a Sunday. Well, we had to actually call the police department and tell them because we got complaints that we were out doing service work. People would call and go, these church people are supposed to be in church. I know I'm not. These church people are supposed to be in church, and they're at my house mowing my lawn, and I don't, I'm not sure what's going on here. So that was kind of fun. Then we had people who would complain because we canceled church. That was fun, right, to explain that. Man, we're doing uh, church uh, kind of in the community because we're, we're showing service, and we want to serve our community. Well, I don't care. I came to church. Well, ma'am, you probably need to come next week then, you know. <laughs> And then I gave her the addresses of some other churches. And, um, but, but that's how it all began. And it's grown and grown and grown to now the point we're doing an entire week of service. Through our connect groups. And if you're not in a connect group, go to the next steps table. We can get you plugged in. All kinds of service projects going on this week. And that's how God sends us into our community to do things. And God's calling us to do things. Maybe... God is really working in your life right now and you realize I I know exactly what you're talking about I know the person I'm supposed to talk to I know the person that God has laid on my heart to to speak to and tell about this gospel or I know that God is speaking directly to me where I need to change some things about who I am as a husband as a father as a wife as a mother I need to change those things as a single person in a dating relationship, as a single person who's not dating, as a coworker, God is doing something in my life and I need to commit myself to that. So over the next few minutes, I'm gonna ask you to stand right where you are. And we're just gonna have a time of prayer. You can do that right now, you can stand up. <laughs> I want you to stand up and I want you to just bow our heads and close our eyes for just a moment while we're standing. And, And the band's going to come out, and they're going to do a final song that's just going to raise the roof off of this place as we celebrate today, as we go out into our community and serve this week and kick off this service week. But God's probably calling you not only to serve this week, but he's sending you somewhere. Maybe it's right back to your house this afternoon to make a change in your family. Maybe it's first thing in the morning when you go to your workplace. Students, it may be in a classroom setting. It it may be anywhere, but God's calling you to do something in the next 24 hours because that's where God has you. If we claim to know this Christ and we're walking out of here having Christ dwelling in us, then God has a purpose for each of us and he wants to use us. So we're going to have just a a moment to pray. If you want to come down and and grab your spouse or or grab a kid, you want to come down here and and pray, do that for just a couple of minutes. And I'm going to pray, and our worship team will will lead us um, in an awesome, awesome song. We're going to raise the roof up and worship, and then we can go eat. All right? So let's, let's pray for just a moment. Just come as God leads you.
want you to feel free to continue to pray. Pray that God will work in each person's life. During this song, continue to make this place an altar as we sing. Pray where you are. Be honest with God. Say what you need to say and then stop. And listen to what he has to say. God, we're thankful for the day. We're so thankful, God, for your power and the power that you show to the Israelites, the power that you show us. But God, we know the most important gift that you give to us is your love and grace to help us go from, from a broken and perfect person, a hurting individual, to someone who is redeemed and whole again. So God, we ask you to do that in our lives. Show us the places where you want us to go. Open those doors, but most importantly, God, give us the courage. You promised to tell us what, to say, what you want us to say. You would give us the words, and you promised to go with us. And we take that to heart and have the faith that you will do what you promised. So God, we thank you, and we love you. In your son's name we pray.